So I'm going to teach for a little bit. I, I, what I'm getting into tonight is something that has formed most of it new, fairly new in me. I've actually not been well for the last four or five weeks. I've uh, been in hospital and complications from cancer surgery a year ago, but it's all sorted now and I'm good. Anybody happy? You good? You good? I'm happy. I'm out the other side and all is good. Clear bill of health. So, uh, and that's awesome. And we're off to Jakarta on Saturday. So pray we don't get a virus or something. <laughs> But it's all good. But anyway, while I was laying down and in a fever for a month and what have you, uh, I was contemplating on things and thinking about stuff, as you do, and, uh, and reading a lot and thinking a lot and, and thinking about stuff. And, and, I, and I've started thinking about this issue. And I, I, like I said before, so I'm going to teach for a bit and then hopefully not too long and then maybe pray for a couple of people and see where we go from there. Is that okay? All right, I'm looking at my time, so that's good. All right, so I, I, I'm not going to do this message in depth in its, in its entirety, but hopefully just cross the surface, begin to throw out some ideas there that, that may help you. And I, I particularly have a heart and passion for you guys who are running couples that are running churches and how complex life has become, how complex the social, political world has become, how complex our... Our, our, our world in, in pretty well every facet of society has become complex. And every time you stand up to speak from the pulpit, it's like we have to be measured and we, and we have to think through things. And, and without, but at the same time, we need to be bold and confident and speak the truth. And yet, but we have to negotiate through, through, through waters and, and complexities, things that, that aren't easy. And we need to be careful, and I believe we need to be circumspect in our, in our speech and, and really begin to have a sound in our voice that, that does not compromise but does connect with the, the, the sound and, and the needs that are in society. Who's with me so far? Anyway? And, and I'm not going to sort, I just described a big problem, right? And I'm not going to sort all that in 20 minutes. I'll give it a shot, but I don't think I will. But I'm going to give it a, just talk about maybe one facet of it and maybe introduce a concept to you that, that you may already know and maybe I'm preaching to the choir. And I've called this message Living in the Tension of Truth. Living in the Tension of Truth. Truth is a tension. Truth is a tension. And it is not just linear. It's not just a linear tension. And just bear with me as I travel a little bit through some concept. For a while there, I thought that that, that truth was the tent, was a, like a, like a tug of rope between two opposing things that you live in. But it's it is that. But it's, I believe, as I begin to meditate on it, it's actually a little bit more complex than that. That tension exists almost like the cross. It exists in a four way direction, and and bear with me. It'll begin hopefully begin to make sense a little bit more in a second. So there's a four way tension, and God and we move around truth. If you can imagine truth as a grid that we move around, and then as we move around various aspects of a particular truth, then, then we see that truth from a, a new angle or another side or what have you. And we go, oh, I see that. I've never seen that before. And, and, and we can see the other side of, a, of maybe a thought or an ideology that we have. But suddenly we're mature enough and spiritually mature enough to see the other side. Instead of this tension between being up between us and the world where we're right and they're wrong, I don't think the kingdom was ever meant to be that way. Most of Jesus' arguments were not with the world, they were with the religious people. And so we need to understand that often we're the problem. 
And, but we're preaching that they're the problem and no wonder, wondering why we're not reaching people with the truth, which is, anyway. Okay, your prime, so I, as you move around the spectrum, it allows movement and expansion, a change of perspective, a change of experience, and maybe a change of thinking. Your primary experience may lead you to arrive at a subjective dominant position. Sometimes what you've known for years can force you to go to cement yourself in a particular way of thinking, and that's, that's it. So that your truth then just becomes concrete. And con- truth is not meant to be concrete. Uh, and, and I believe we need, our aim is try to be teachable and humble enough to move back and forward around truth so that we understand different aspects to, to things. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I believe that truth ultimately exists here in the nexus. And the aim is to get into the center of things so that, so that we have, and it's not about balance, but it's more about tension and understanding how things actually work together in this concept. The moment truth becomes dogma, it ceases to be truth. The moment it becomes dogma, and I hear a lot of dogma in the church saying definitive, this is the thing. I'm like, I don't know. That, that's, and I'm not saying truth is relative because it's not. Truth is, def, is definitive, but it's not dogmatic. So that's an important thing. Truth intention is not relativism. The world's version of truth keeps shifting according to the social emphasis at the time. We're not that. Truth doesn't change, but it has movement within well-defined God-ordained boundaries. So things think, and you'll notice that, you'll know that God has seasons of emphasizing a particular thing that wasn't emphasized 10 years ago. Does that make the thing 10 years ago untrue? No, that God is emphasizing this over here. If we're mature enough, we can flex with that emphasis and become more holistic, more God people, because Jesus was exactly like that. Jesus was comfortable in moving around in this whole, who's with me so far? I think I've lost myself. Here's the question for you. Can opposing ideology exist within one truth? Of course, the answer is yes. Can a gracious, all-loving God also judge people for their sins? Yes. We have to say yes to that. But how do you, how do you consolidate or how do you understand that? Well, we've got, we've got to understand that truth is not, stag- is not stagnant. Truth moves. And that's, that was Rob Bell's dilemma in his book, Love Wins. He could not, he could not integrate the, the two extensions. He, he went to one end of the extreme. If God is an all-loving God, he cannot, send, he cannot judge anybody. And I liked his heart, but his theology was wrong. His conclusion was wrong because for some reason, and God bless Rob, he's an amazing man, but, but that's, I believe that was the conclusion that he came to. Can God want our lives to prosper and for all our needs to be met, yet at the same time expect from us nothing less than a sacrificial life and first deny, to deny ourselves? Yes. Is that the same God? Yes. I'd go figure. It's amazing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe, and I, that's become often a cliche now. But what does it mean? I believe the order is important. That he, he is the way. He, and what is that? He is the way. He's the way of salvation. He's the way to the Father. He is the truth. Truth is a person. He is God and all that embodies, represents values. He embodied truth. 
And as we keep going to Jesus, then we will stay in balance. But if we go to an element of what we think the truth is, we'll lose the wrong, we'll get the wrong emphasis of truth. We need to keep coming back to Jesus because He is the truth. And because guess why? He's moving. But He's not moving out of truth. He is moving within truth. So, so that's, that's, that's good. He is truth. But once those two are believed and embraced, once we understand that He is the way, understand His truth, then life flows. Truth is not relative. Truth is revelation. And so we aim to move, live in the nexus of truth. Our aim is to be there. God, you may get an experience out here, but like a tennis player, get back to the, get back to the tee again. Great tennis players may go up to the net and have a shot, but they quickly come back to the point in the tee. We need, as truth carriers, need to come back to the nexus and be ready to receive in God what we're able to receive or see another perspective and not judge some other part of the body or some other part of ideology through a distorted perspective, which is, which is what, here's the crazy thing. There is more tension and conflict within the church than there is outside of the church or from the church outside of the church. And, and we are not representing what the kingdom is meant to be. The church, I believe the world is often looking at us going, what are they doing? What, what are they on about? And this, we're seeing social media conflict and arguments and Christians pulling each other down. And I, I believe it's really misrepresenting the heart and spirit and the love of God and the grace of God out there. Does anybody agree with that? Sometimes our faith is shipwrecked because we refuse to shift and experience an aspect of the kingdom of God in a different way. Sometimes people are knocked off course when we're exposed to something new and that becomes our new nexus and we start to review all truth through that new position. So we float out to some area and we go, wow, I've never seen that before. Then we start judging everybody else's perspective. Uh, but they all, within, they all exist within that place. They all, it's all fine. That's not start judging everything through a new position. no. Experience that in God, and then go back to the go back to Jesus again. Go back to the center again, and go great. I can I can embrace that. I can embrace that. I get the thing, which is good. Okay. So when we live out of our own historical paradigm, all of us have an historical paradigm. We come from a non-church background or a certain church background, and each one of those, those church backgrounds have an element, have an ideology, have a perspective, have a, a perspective of the truth attached to it. If we refuse to let God shift our thinking, we get stuck and lose the ability to see where God can, what God can do or is doing. And we judge even the current move of God through our own historical paradigm. And we refuse what God might be trying to get into our church or into our team or into our leadership thing. And He will bring a new emphasis. Classic example, New Testament, Acts 10. When, 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 you know, the story when and Peter went off to pray and God gave him a brand new paradigm that was so radical, it wasn't a new theology, it, exists, it has been in existence from the beginning of time. The universal gospel has always been in existence. The gospel has always been for the Gentiles. The Jews were meant to be a light to the Gentiles, but the Jewish people never saw it. And in the early days, the Jewish faith, the Christian faith was Jewish, and God was trying to break it out of the confines of one aspect of truth out into a gospel that reached the world. Which, thank God for Acts chapter 10, right? But we go, wow, Peter, what a stubborn man, what a, what a numbskull, what a nuthead. You know, and we're doing the same thing when the Holy Spirit's going, have you seen this? 
And again, no, no, I don't need to see that, you know, which maybe we do. Okay, so the next few minutes, I'm going to give you four cross paradigms of things that, that and the first one is, let's, ha- let's have a look really quickly. Like I, I'm not going to unpackage it too much. Is let's look at the kingdom. What, what, what is, how does the kingdom made up? And it's all sorts of things. There's the, up here, there's the, 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 the Christ on the mountain. There's the, there's the intimate Christ. There's the mystical Christ. And by the way, Jesus was that. He spent much time alone seeking God. He was the recluse. He was the, God, what are you doing? And he spent much time, many, many days, nights, seeking God and have you. And there's, there's that type of Christianity and a type of experience and truth, which is good, which is part of the kingdom. But it's not everything about the kingdom. But then over here is the revival. Move of God, miracles, signs and wonders. Incredible. Who's thanking God for that, right? How many people up here are criticizing that? Over here is the Word. Teaching, instruction, how to live life. Christ the teacher, he was phenomenal at that. And, and, and down here is, is, is good works. It's feeding the poor, focusing on the marginalized. And much of the body of Christ, depending on people's backgrounds or aspect of the truth, cement themselves in a particular area and then define all of Christianity from that perspective and then criticize other people and say, no, the miracles are finished. It's not all about the Word. All the Word people are criticizing the charismatics or the, or the mystic, whatever. And then it just, what, but I believe we need to live in the nexus of that. And, 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 and yes, full revelation of a move of God supernatural. Full revelation of the Word. Uh, who's into that, anyone? That's why I, I listen. I listen to, we listen to Tim Keller. I read N.T. Wright all the time. Getting my mind alive with the Word of God. Because without that Word of God, we're just feeling people. But, but we need that. And, and, and seeking God alone. My gosh, you know, just seeking. We need to be mystical. We need to be alone with God. <laughs> Crying out, we need, where's your mountain? <laughs> you can't do the Christian life without your mountain. Or, or your ocean that you're seeking God on because that's where the power is. But also, we need to be focused on the poor. We need to be in our communities, feeding, clothing. We need to be God social workers out there doing the stuff. But it's not one or the other. The, the tension of all those things is where the power is. I mean, you could, you could go that that's, that's the evangelist, that's the teacher, that's the pastor, that's the whatever the other guy, the prophet. And right in the middle is the apostle, is Jesus. And you could, you could argue that's the Gospels. That's John. That's Mark. That's Matthew. That's Luke. You could go and you could take the paradigm all sorts of places. Okay, what else? Moving through this quickly. Okay, I have a lot more questions, but I'm not going to do it. Our faith. Let's talk about faith for a second. Same thing. Tension between grace here and truth. Between... Uh, mercy and justice. Somehow God wants us there, but all are true. You can't have grace without truth. And, and for our own lives, I believe the glory of God lives right in the center. As we, the glory of God, God wants His glory on the earth, but it's, and until we experience grace, we can't show mercy. 
Unless you have a revelation of God, what God has done in your life, you can't show mercy. Self-righteousness creates judgmentalism. And so it's like grace builds a spirit of mercy. But also mercy is balanced by the fact that we need to hold people accountable. But it's not just all holding people accountable. It's we need a merciful heart and, and, and grace and truth. And I believe that one, that one of the keys to truth is shame. God wants us to be ashamed. Yeah, that's, that's what he, that's, without shame, there is no forgiveness. There's no, re, there's no revelation of forgiveness. But God wants to remove the shame, but he, wants you to, he can't remove something that you don't even know is there or you don't even know exists. God wants sin brings shame. That's the whole New Testament. But thank God for the cross, he's removed our shame. But if you go, there's no shame in Jesus, and like, well, what about you did that? Like, well, I don't care, that doesn't really matter. Well, no, that's not true. We're living in the tension of grace and truth, of forgiveness and shame, and of mercy and justice. God wants us understanding all these things, not one or the other. Okay, how are we doing so far? I mean, and just, we could do it one on the world. How's the world function? Right now, this is probably one of the most complex ones that exists is God God is a God of abundance. Praise God for that, right? Anybody believe that? But he's also a God of sacrifice. He wants us to 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 give give all of away. How many scriptures are there on living a sacrificial life? There's just as many as but we as Pentecostals focus on the abundance thing, but we never talk about the sacrifice. Actually, we're hearing it more because it's coming, that truth is coming into the house of God. But we need it, the church needs it, we need it. The God is a God of abundance, but he's a God of sacrifice. It's not one or the other. He is, is he is he a God of conservatives? Yes. Is he a God of social social values, of socialism? Yes. He's both. He's not left or right wing. He is both. He's, he is, you know, I like Isaiah 54. You will spread it to the broad, to the right and to the left. <laughs> and and when that, the, the moment the church aligns itself with conservative values only, it is imbalanced. It, it is actually doing the world an injustice. There is just as many scriptures about God the socialist as there is about God the, 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 the conservative. Just as many. Just as many. All the church shared everything, had everything in common. That's those socialist values. The kingdom is full of those situations. That's why the world is reacting to our conservative values because we're preaching that instead of preaching truth. We need to be preaching both. And we need to be living that as well. And gee, I can, some of you, uh, it's okay. I'm, <laughs> I'll move right along. I'll move right along. Okay, and and look, the last one uh, is this: is that, and I, I've done this as a whole message, but I've put it into this paradigm now: is discovering our future. I believe now is attention, understanding that that how do we how do we discover our future? And, and you've heard me talk about this before. We discovered in our leaders, we discovered in our team, we discovered in God. And we discover it in the, in the generation coming up behind us. That the future exists in four places at once. Not in one place. And in leaders, what is that? It's vision. Team, bring ideas. God brings revelation. And, and the next generation bring new wineskins. 
and the future exists in all four places. And, and, and as a church, as you negotiate your, your church, and I hear pastors and I'm hearing them saying, and I can hear one-dimensional thinking. I seek God. Future and I seek God. Well, that is important, but it's only one of four places. Because maybe God's trying to talk to you from a 25-year-old that's behind you who's got, or, or some guys from other part of the world who has releasing a new wineskin on the earth that's God speaking. That's where the future is. And it's not about hanging on to the old. No, it's just about saying movable and flexible and what have you. Or maybe your team members are coming up with incredible ideas. They're amazing. Or maybe it's you seeking God and really getting a revelation and clarity about what your life is, what your team's future is, what your, your church's future is. Suddenly this whole thing begins to open up, which is, which is an awesome thing. And so that's where our future exists and what have you. And what does that mean? What does that take? I believe this, this takes submission. To follow leaders is submission. We've been submissive with, to Pastor Phil and Chris for 40 years and will continue to be. But it's not the only part of our tool belt. Uh, ideas, uh, co- collaboration. I believe we need more collaboration in our teams. We're a powerful thing. Uh, listening to the next generation requires empowerment. We need to start empowering younger people. Not just giving them jobs, empower them. Because they've got stuff on them. You know, and, and, and you know, millennials are not young anymore. <laughs> They're not the kids. I'm oh, no, sorry to you, millennials. <laughs> Some of millennials are going, I thought I was young. Well, you were. <laughs> but most of you are not far off 40. <laughs> Sorry. And, 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 and then revelation. So it's, it's all those things. We're submissive, the leaders. We're getting revelation from God. We're empowering the next generation. And also we're working with our teams in a spirit of collaboration. It's not one or the other. It's all four in this beautiful tension. Where, where we're stepping into these futures that, that can be amazing together. And God will do it in His way. It's not, it's not this, there comes a breakthrough and there it is and it all happens in one day. No, you just find yourself like, oh, God did that. When did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, it's all a mix of probably a thousand things that God is working on. Maybe He's, Getting some people here to come into your life. Maybe he's getting you to read this thing. Maybe as you're seeking him, you're hearing this. Maybe this, he's sending this person along. And it's not one or the other. It's all those things working together. And in maybe a t- 12 months from now, 18 months from now, your life and your church is in a whole new place. And it didn't happen in one particular day. But there's this journey of life and freedom and, and direction that God is moving you into, which is an awesome thing. So anyway, there you go. thought I'd just share that with you. Uh, so that's what I've been thinking about on my sickbed. Uh, <laughs> and driving myself insane. And it's, look, I'm still forming that. I'm happy, but I just want us to know as we navigate very complex worlds, we need to be very careful that we're not just speaking things on the pulpit in this very linear sense and, 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 and alienating populations, alienating people. Like, what are they talking about? No, out of you comes a spirit of truth. 
out of you comes, and it's a sound. Do you realize that as you preach, it's not just a message or thought. A sound is coming out of you, and the people in your, your congregation are going, they're connecting with that. They're going, that's wow. And they don't even know why they're connecting with you, but there's something in you that represents the beauty and grace of heaven and because you're capturing that, which is awesome thing. Let me leave you with one more thought. Is that okay? One more thought. The two major barriers, I believe, to church breakthrough are these. The two barriers. Number one is the veil. Number two is the wall. The two major barriers, the veil and the wall. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 18. It says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That blockage between humanity and divinity, that, that there is a block. People are living in darkness. Our job as men and women of God is to remove the veil so in our church services so that they, people begin to feel the presence of God. And when Hartley's doing that altar call, he's not just the altar call, but he, he and Nat have prepared the atmosphere so that people are beginning to sense God and the eyes are open to the gospel. That's why worship is important. It's not about lights and cameras action and clever services. No, those things count, but really it's about the glory and the presence of God. So eyes are open and the veil is removed and the reality of God's love begins to come into their lives. But it's only one part of the barrier. The cross is vertical. Remove the veil. The cross is horizontal. Remove the wall. And the scripture, the key scripture there is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. It says, In the cross, God has removed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between whoever. And I believe between the church and the world, there's massive walls, walls of hostility. And it's a hostility towards the world as a hostility from the world to the church. Our job isn't just to remove the veil. Our job is to remove the hostility because the gospel is not complete until both barriers are removed. And we spend all the time, God, God, seeing God. And yet we've got this massive hostility, whether it's social, political, social media, the way we preach, the way we act, the way we, whatever it is, instead of building walls, let's destroy the walls and let's build the bridges and let's get into the communities. Let's, let's break into the communities and share the grace of God and love of God. Let's privately pull down the veil so people have an experience with God. Let's publicly pull down those walls. And, and what does that mean? I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. I live in the northern beaches of Sydney. I'm on a mission to break the walls down out in the surfing, surfing culture. You paddle out and surf and it's all these pecking orders and tears and tensions and it's, it's, it looks peaceful from the shore, doesn't it? You paddle out there. It's nasty out there. It's, it's a nasty world. People are fighting and, and like grumpy and mean and swearing at each other. I'm like, I'm on a mission. I'm going to change the atmosphere out there. I'm going to pull the walls down of the surfing industry. Well, at least in my little world, my little insignificant world. So I'm, every time I'm on a mission, every time I go out for surf, I just start talking to people. I've got this little trick. I ask them, I, I said, how, how, what sort of board is that? Nice looking board or great wave. And, and, and I've been, you know, where I live in Avalon, there's like, there's the old Av guys who don't, don't, they are a small club. There's about 20 of them and they don't let anybody into it. You've had to be in that place for 50 years and even then you can't break in. Well, I want to tell you today, I've broken in. <laughs> it took me 23 years when I've broken in. 
they're talking to me now. They're hey, Mark, give me high fives and what have you. And it's like, now I've got a bridge because you can't reach anybody that you're hostile to as hostile to you. You can, have the, you can have a veil, gone, great, I've got the glory of God on me. Glory to God, I'm just full of the power, but there's walls everywhere. And, and, and break those walls down. And, 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 and so just everyone, I'm just talking and cheering and hollering on because my aim, and it may take 20 years to get, not, but my aim is for them to see me differently as a minister and as a, and as a Christian and have you. That's the deal right now. The gospel is not complete until the horizontal thing is broken down. Matthew chapter 6, and it's about forgiveness. It's about all sorts of, I could, I could teach for six hours on that one thing. The power of the cross, not just us forgiven. The cross doesn't just give you power to be forgiven. Believe it or not, that's actually the smaller part. The cross gives you the power to forgive. That's, in fact, in Matthew 6, Jesus says this, unless you forgive your brother who sinned against you, God in heaven will not forgive you. So our forgiveness for others actually comes before God forgiving us. And that means breaking down conflict, breaking down hostility. We are a walking, forgiving machine. Everywhere we go, we're, we're releasing forgiveness, pouring out grace, love of God in the church, outside of the church. So the church becomes alive, not just alive with great worship and lights, but alive with real life in heaven that only the cross can bring. And that's what our churches need to be filled up right now. Amen. How are we doing so far? All right. So far, I'm done. <laughs>